no. I mean, it's the only industry that I've seen gets to put out a flawed product right off the bat and act like it's brand new, like it's awesome. It's not awesome. If you have to security update it as soon as I get it, that's not awesome. Tangent. That's a tangent. Sorry. Well, this morning I'm going to talk about uh, the Gospel of Mark. And this has kind of been a hard one for me. I guess uh, I was trying to explain it the other morning to somebody. In the mornings on, on uh, Saturdays, I get up early in the morning, and uh, I say early. I hear a door open. I say early, and uh, in, in doing so, uh, it's like 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning, and uh, I write because what happens is if I write like on Monday and Tuesdays when I'm really off, I will preach it by the time I get to Sunday, and it will feel like an old word to me, like something I've already done and it won't I won't be I don't know it's like not new to me more I, one time I as a worship leader I used to have to do two services and I always felt bad for anybody who's in the second service because I felt like I'm just regurgitating the first service and I, I would play the same songs and I was like you sure you don't want me to change it up? because no because if you change it up the people at the second service are getting a different service in the first service I thought that's why you're having two services. You know, like, I don't know. I don't understand two services because of that. But, like, I always felt like I gave everything on the first time around. Like, now I'm tired. You're getting the, I've already played, like, a 30-minute set, you know, and now I'm about to do another 30-minute set. It's not the same as the first 30 minutes. The first 30 minutes, I'm more more energetic, more enthusiastic and stuff, right? Well, that's one of the reasons I wait till like, a Saturday morning to write. So I was explaining it Saturday to a guy. My boss up there, and man, I mean, even it, I was already like weeping about it because telling even my wife, I place myself in, in the book. When I read the Bible, the way I see it is the only way I know how to see it. It's the way you read any book. Whoever, whoever remembers, this is an old movie, and if you're young and you haven't seen it, you need to see this, okay? The never-ending story. Have you seen that movie? How awesome is that movie? Have you seen it? No? You should. It's awesome. It encourages reading, by the way. It's about reading a book, and then as you read the book, the book is literally writing you in the story. And so that this kid reads this book, and he's like experiencing it like if it was him in the story. And so it encourages you to, to, to read books because it's like this adventure you go on when you read the book. You go on the adventure with the, with the characters. And so when I read the Bible, it's the same way. And then I've been that way since a kid. When I read the Bible and I look at the Bible, I'm standing there with the disciples in that moment, and I'm imagining emotionally what it feels like to listen or what that experience would be like and so this this uh, morning this one's a kind of a difficult and i think it's going to get that way the more we are we're right on top of the cross here and uh the season is shifting ecclesiastes 3 1 reads forever for everything there is a season and for every activity a time for every activity under heaven so seasons change constantly solomon recognized this seasons are hard on us uh, because we're not all that fond of change. <laughs> True story. This is how it is. Uh, but on earth, um, obviously, there's physical changes on earth. Um, and there's also spiritual and physical changes with us. No, whether we like it or not, earth reveals to us that, that there are seasons for change. Everything changes. Uh, it's just how it is. We change jobs. The season changes. People enter and exit our lives. Seasons change. Seasonal change is happening all the time, and here this morning when we get into Mark chapter 14, uh, we've come to the end of a season and the beginning of a new one, and this is where we're going to be this morning, at the end of a season and the beginning of a new one, Mark 14 verses 32 through 42. Everybody needs a Bible. 
Probably going to buy some just so we can have some here. More and more, the, it's not the older I get either. I've always, one thing that the older generation was really good at was really pressing in on you should read your Bible. You should have one and be reading it. Um, people fought and died so that you could have a Bible of your own. And uh, we honored them by reading the Bible. Also, we honored the Lord by knowing his word. Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and he fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayers before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look. My betrayer is here. Of all the places, we'll stop right there. Of all the places that Jesus goes to pray, he chooses Gethsemane. The translation of this place uh, is interpreted as the oil press. Gethsemane means the oil press, specifically, physically, olive oil. Uh, Spiritually, it could be implied that this is where the anointing is to be pressed out. The anointing is to be pressed out. At least... Uh, Isn't that what's going to happen? I mean, we know what's about to happen. It's all about to be poured out of him. All the anointing, all the power, all the glory. It's all about to be poured out. Jesus is being pressed in on all sides. And maybe not from the weight of the physical cross yet, but uh, definitely he understands and knows what he's about to face. That's the whole thing that's driven him there. For the past three years, this revelation knowledge has been on his mind. And he's known that this was in his near future. But in the past, it probably seemed so far away. There's a lot of things that have to get done between now and then. We have a lot of moments that encompass the time of three years between the beginning and the end. And now we're here at the changing of a season. The time to face sin and death now has begun for Jesus. And how will he face all of this? How does he approach the cross? How does he come to this moment where he reconciles with himself? Okay, time for changes now. Well, he prays. He prays. This is his last great lesson to his disciples. He gathers them up. He calls them near. Come on, think about this. He says, stay here and keep watch. Right? He is the master and they are the students. He models prayer before those who don't pray at all. (laughs) I mean, this was the time for prayer and what are they doing? Right? He allows them this 
awesome position like Joshua standing out uh, uh, in front of the tent before Moses, right? You remember those from the Old Testament? Joshua sitting outside of the tent. What do you think Joshua's doing out there? He's listening to everything Moses is saying because the time for his leadership will come, right? And the easiest way to learn leadership is learn from those who are already leading. What do they do? How do they pray? What are the things that they say when they speak to the Lord? How do they act? Do they revere the Lord? They're, this is their opportunity to, alert, to learn, right? They're close enough to Jesus that they can hear his pleas. Think about this. They're close enough that they can hear his cries. They can hear his groans. And not even Jesus was too proud or too self-sufficient to pray in this moment. He models humility before all humanity. The Son of God. Think about that. Jesus explains to them that his soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He's in agony. He's in anguish. To be in anguish or to experience anguish is to, according to a definition, to suffer severe mental or physical pain or just suffer. This is where Jesus is. He's living in anguish in this moment. The late David Wilkerson once said this on the subject. He said, all true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, he would seek out a praying man and he'd take him down into the waters of anguish. He would share his own anguish for what he saw happening to his church and to his people. He would find a praying man and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. It's true, right? You see this in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. The whole town is in ruins. Come on, that's the whole reason he's upset. He's heard about how bad it is there, how hopeless it is, right? It's, it's, in, it's literally Jerusalem is in despair. And Nehemiah, upon hearing this, it says that he sat down, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. And it says he did this for days. That's anguish. That's anguish. Some of us, man, we'd be lucky if we pray an hour. Lord, somebody's dying. They have cancer. We'll give it maybe 30 minutes. We believe everything's good. He hears the towns in ruins, and he's praying and mourning and fasting for days. This is anguish. He sees, listen, this is, this, this is the moment, right? This is the moment with Jesus where Jesus is in the oil press. Think about this. He's being pressed in. If there's a time in a more perfect situation for where he's praying, considering what's happening, this is it, right? Jesus is the same way. Jesus has a vision. He sees people like Nehemiah, like Nehemiah saw Jerusalem walking in their sins. They're destined for this eternal death with only one way of being rescued. However, the rescue is going to cost him. It comes with a high price because there's no other way. And it's for this that he's come into the world. This destiny was the reason he was born. And now it's come time to face it. There's no way out of this, right? So what's he do? What's the answer? How does he deal with this? Right? This is his last lesson to us. For the season shifts, he prays. How do you deal with seasonal change? When one part of your life is over and a new part begins, I hope you're praying. When it gets hard, I hope you're praying. And not a five-minute prayer. Jesus didn't give it a five-minute prayer. It says when he came back to him the first time, it had been an hour. I hope you're praying. I hope you're interceding before the Lord. Jesus prays, not only prays, but he prays fervently in anguish. 
The disciple's job, basically our job, is to what? What does he tell them to do? Keep watch. Watch. Learn. This is it. This is the last moment you get to see this. Watch. Just keep watch. In the disciples, we watch our, being in, in discipleship, we watch our spiritual mentors and leaders so that one day we might emulate them. That's the whole idea of having a mentor or having somebody that we follow is that one day we might emulate them. We see things or attributes in them that we might copy or mimic into our life, right? Because they're good things, right? So Jesus is adamant here. Hey, guys, keep watch. Keep watch. He says it over and over, right? And so he walks out a ways, but still within sight, still within hearing, right? Because they recorded it. They know what he prayed, right? And he prays. The scripture here says more specifically that he fell to the ground. Shows you the weight of his prayer. Right? The weight of pressure upon him. Driving his knees to the dirt. It cripples his flesh. The grief was so great that even the flesh of Jesus is being put on full. It just, they're just pressing down so hard. Right? Because his flesh wants to avoid what's going to happen. I mean, he asked if it were possible. Lord, let it pass him by. He knows what's coming. He knows the difficulty of what's coming. But Jesus models in this moment a victorious spirit, right, which overcomes the flesh. It beckons and submits the Lord's will above all things. Like, I know what my flesh wants. My flesh wants an easier way. But, Lord, I submit my flesh to you that your will be done above all things, right? So he submits his flesh before the Spirit. He beckons upon the will of God. He accepts his fate as part of God's divine plan and shows a deeper trust in the Father. I hope we make it there in prayer. I think oftentimes our flesh is so weak. We don't pray long enough to get the answers. We don't pray hard enough to feel the very intercession or the very weight of the burdens at times for which people carry. That's why we pray so shallow and so short. If we felt the weight of it as if we had cancer ourselves, we might spend some more time down on the floor. Jesus feels the burdens. But he also shows this deep trust. Listen, even if it doesn't go my way, and that is the will of the Father, then I submit my way to the will of the Father so that it's his way above all. And I accept that. I'm going to pray this, but I accept whatever fate comes because I trust the Father. And in doing so, in, in doing and trusting the Father and, and calling Him Father, He gives us an insight into the kingdom of God that has never been done before. Jesus uses a word, Abba. Can I tell you, I don't know if you've done a study on this, but it isn't used anywhere else in the entire Bible up until this point. Nowhere else. It's actually kind of scandalous. Right In this small moment, deep in prayer, he unlocks this awesome truth that shows where Christ receives his strength. Right, He starts from that very word. Here Jesus places us as the very children, the heirs of God, the very children of the Lord, of the most greatest, the most powerful spiritual being that there ever will be and there ever is. Right, We are his heirs, almost like his blood kin. Jesus is the first guy that does it. It's revelation knowledge. Before God was somebody so far off, he was too, so, too, like too holy, too terrifying, too scary. He was this God who came in and brought judgment, or he was this, you know, this, this scary individual. And Jesus changes all of that in just one word. Now to all receive Jesus are called the children of God today. This was never done before. 
In doing so, God isn't some faraway God that only uh, cares for a simple creation. No, He is a Father who lavishes His love on His children. His love pours out into His children in all sorts of supernatural ways. And this is who Jesus is praying to. This is who He gathers strength from. I mean, it's really pretty revelatory stuff. It's, it's revelational stuff, man. Um, and you already see this just in his prayer, the way he talks to the Lord. We're already seeing all this stuff flowing out of Jesus. And I think about the disciples and what they saw for their brief time while they're awake. Right? Here it is. The master is praying. The master of prayer is praying. How cool would have this been, right? If they could have just stayed awake, Right? But as Jesus prays for like an hour or so, the disciples are oblivious to the anguish. They're oblivious to the agony of Jesus, so oblivious that they're just sleeping. Oh, it's like, here's your moment. Is, is, is there a better vision of the church? <laughs> Jesus is always doing the heavy lifting. While we're still struggling with lifting our own eyes. I mean, I... Better stop there. I'll just get on a tangent. Jesus is tired. He's pressed down. He gets up to see if his friends are with him. Like, are, they, are you with me? Right? And they're asleep. It's just been an hour. And, but here's the thing that they don't realize. It's a crucible moment. It's a crucible moment. Jesus is fully aware of it. While his friends are clueless. They have no idea what is coming. No matter how much he's told them. They do not have spiritual eyes to see, maybe because they're not praying, they're sleeping. And this is the power of prayer. This is why we must be a church of prayer. God has called it the house of prayer to make you fully aware of the prophetic and spiritual futures that are going to take place. You want to know what's going to happen? I can tell you where you can find that out. If you live on your knees, people who live on their knees tend to know what's coming in the Lord. God tends to share things with people who spend time with him. And this is prayer, right? You have to be awake to pray. And my wonder today is how many people are truly awake praying? Oh, I think there's a lot of people moving their lips, but how many are truly spiritually awake and praying? It has to make me wonder. I mean, even the disciples who are next to Jesus are clueless about everything Jesus says because to have spiritual ears and spiritual eyes, you have to be someone who prays. The spiritual is imparted to you through the Lord. You spend time with the Lord, you will have those things. You do not, then you do not have those things. And Jesus is frustrated here. By the way, can you blame him? I mean, he tells them strictly, hey man, keep watch. While he retreats for an hour, he returns to find them sleeping. And I can't help but wonder if this is also how judgment will be. How will you be found when Jesus returns from interceding? Because by the way, isn't that what it says? That Jesus is before the Father even right now doing what? Interceding. So Jesus says, hey man, keep watch. All right? All throughout the Old Testament, what he say? He calls them watchmen, right? Who are the watchmen? Those who discern the spiritual things of the Lord and tell the people for them because what are they doing the whole time? They are praying. Watchmen don't sit actually on a wall outside of a building keeping watch, looking at the sky. No, they're in their prayer closets hearing from the Lord so they can keep watch of the spiritual things because God gives those who spend time with him the prophetic and the spiritual futures. Keep watch. I go to the Father now to intercede. 
a little different now. I'm not just going over here to the uh, Gethsemane. I'm actually going to go to the Father. I'm going to intercede before us at all times, right? But the time is coming when intercession will be over and judgment will arrive. And is the church, will she be awake? Will she be keeping watch when judgment arrives? When he finds them sleeping, he reprimands them in like a holy frustration. He reminds them what? Keep watch. (laughs) That's over and over. Why? This time he says because temptation approaches. The temptation to to deny Jesus is approaching. They're not even aware of that either. Just that conversation happened, by the way, like moments earlier. Literally minutes earlier, they swore they would never ever deny Jesus, right? It's never going to happen. Hey, man, so keep watch. By the way, Jesus says this to us too. Keep watch. The spirit is willing and able. The flesh is weak and tends to cater to the comfort more than anything else. There is nothing more killing to the spiritual than comfort. Comfort will ruin a disciple. Yes. I, I, listen, guys, I'd love for all of us to be comfortable, and I understand the, the pleasingness of comfortable and being comfortable. However, when we're comfortable, we tend to be lazy. It's a sad truth. I once heard a pastor, I'm not going to say who it was, uh, and he was held, he's still held in high esteem. And uh, he leads a lot of different things. Uh, And I remember sitting in his class and he was talking about um, the secret place and he was talking about praying and he was talking about things like that. And a lot of people would love to sit underneath this guy and listen to him. But again, probably a lot of this is because I listen to a lot of older gentlemen. (laughs) Uh, But I'm listening to this guy talk about prayer. And as he begins to talk, he begins to share how his, because what they really want to know, what a lot of these young guys want to know is they're listening to this guy is, is he is how does he pray how does this work out for him because he is so intelligent his sermons are so rich and they're so good like how does he pray and uh so he tells them he says well i get up in the morning and i make my coffee and then i grab my computer because i've got all my bible stuff on it like the bible app stuff on it and it's got all my translation stuff and i get my little journal out And I go sit, and I've got this little table that comes over, my lazy boy chair, and I put it right up there, and I begin to pray for a little while, and then I'll read and journal, and then I'll pray back and forth. And the whole time, like, I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to listen, but I'm I'm picturing this, right? Because he's painting the picture for me. And uh, if there was, all I could think of is if there was ever a current... uh, picture of our state of prayer warriors today it was this one can you see it some of our greatest preachers praying in the lazy boy think about that i mean and i'm telling you guys if 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 you saw him today you would never know that this is the guy i'm talking about i'm telling you because everybody thinks this guy's great everything this guy's awesome and he's super intelligent super smart and his sermons are always great i'm not gonna lie they are right but i'm thinking about a picture of this this is what we're going to teach young men this is what we're teaching our pastors. Hey, man, just get in that lazy boy with some coffee in your computer and you're good. Like, pretty sure that's not how it's supposed to be. Like, God's like, hey, I'm going to set this prayer thing up for you. And it's going to be the most comfortable. You're going to do it in a lazy boy. And we're going to change the world with one prayer and a lazy boy at a time. 
By the way, think about prayer and lazy boy in the same word, in the same sentence, guys. This, all I could hear was all the preachers from old going on. You know, like listening to guys like Spurgeon or Ravenhill or Wilkerson. Can you imagine Wilkerson? If you know Wilkerson, oh my gosh, come on now. Is this what English looks like? Is that agony in prayer? Is this what a holy calling should look like? Is this how Elijah called down fire from heaven? From the lazy boy? Or was it anguish upon the bone and flesh of your knees? Maybe not all prayers should be comfortable. Maybe you should feel the pain of your flesh upon the floor. You know, the Jews used to practice putting the ashes and stuff over their head. And the, you know why they wore the burlap? So it gave them irritation to remind them of what they were mourning for. Some traditions were good. And maybe in prayer we can be reminded of how weak our flesh is. As we sit up, maybe even here to our altars and pray, and we're reminded just by the little tiny piece of carpet that there's concrete right underneath it because our knees don't feel comfortable at it. Maybe you don't need to feel comfortable in prayer. Maybe we've been too comfortable, and maybe that's our problem. There isn't any time for comfort when people are dying and going to hell on a daily basis. Like, I don't know if about you, but as smart as this, this minister I'm talking about is, like as smart as this guy is and as great as his sermons are, can I tell you, nobody's winning any more souls than anybody else. And last time I saw this country, the Christian church isn't doing so well in influence. We're still struggling to learn how to love people, much less influence the world. We're not winning this. Or maybe we've been too comfortable for too long. And I think right now we need only to listen to the groans of our own country right now in confusion to find a, worth, a worthy cause to drive us into anguish. Man, I don't have TV. Why? Because TV causes me agony. It causes I don't. I don't need a TV anymore. It's everywhere. I can't, I can't get on my email. I can't go anywhere on my phone without something trying to remind me of where our country's at. It, it makes me groan inside, just even where our city's at. It makes me groan inside. I mean, come on. I know some of you, you hear the grind of America right now. It's not good. There's confusion that exists in gender. How many of you thought you'd ever see that day where you didn't know the difference between a boy or a girl? That's confusion there. Or if you're a girl, you can be a boy just by saying so. And if you say that's not right, that's socially unacceptable to say that's not right. Wait a minute. That's just biology. There's confusion now that exists in sexuality. Never was before. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's always been homosexuality, but nobody was confused about it. It's always been sin. It always was sin. It was always like a taboo type thing. still is, but apparently there's confusion about what's acceptable. There's confusion uh, that exists in the simplicity of just what's right and what's wrong. It's a different place we live in. If there was ever a moment to pray, I think it's right now, right? If there was ever a moment to be the house of prayer, if there was ever a moment to be the spiritual strongholds that our country needs, we give up enough ground. Two, we got so much watered-down Christianity because we're so scared we're going to offend or hurt. Last time I saw you spanked your kid because you loved them. You don't back off, go, hey, I love you, I really don't want to spank. No, man, you beat that kid. Why? Because you want him to turn out good. It's true. So Jesus, what does he do? He says, hey, man, wake up. Keep watch. 
And he goes back to prayer now the second time, and there he's sleeping again. <laughs> They're dumbfounded too. They don't know what to say. What can they say? Twice now he's told them, and twice now they've fallen asleep. How many times does Jesus have to tell you something? By the way, remember how much you like telling your kids something and they don't do it? You're like, I've told you six times. I'm not saying it seventh. I will bust your rear. And why are you telling them that they need to do it? Most likely because it's good for them. Right? You're telling your kid over and over. Why? Because you want them to do it. It's good for them, right? You don't want them to have to experience what happens if they don't heed your advice the first time, right? Used to tell our kids, that's what rules do. Well, I broke the rule and I didn't end up hurt or in pain. I know because I moved, the, I moved that fence line so far back from the cliff that if you jump the fence because I expect you to be dumb, you're not going to fall and die. Right? If I'd have put the fence line on the cliff, you'd already jumped off and died. So I moved the rules so far back, right? That's what we do as parents. So we don't want them to find out what happens if they don't heed our advice. And they're going to challenge us, just like we're going to challenge Jesus. The same is said to you this morning. Jesus says, keep watch. Jesus says to watch him pray so that hopefully you can emulate him in prayer. He is the inner, great intercessor, and so should you be. By the way, if you spend all your time praying about you and your little family and you haven't prayed for others, you are missing the ministry of Jesus. In this moment, while Jesus is uncomfortable, and he is also praying that if it could pass from him, he's also going, but Lord, if it's your will, I know what lies ahead. I'm doing this for everybody else. He remembers in that moment, it's bigger than him. It's bigger than Jesus. And he accepts his fate. Man, and we should emulate that part too. And why does he accept all? Because it's Jesus. He's going to change the world by doing this, Right? And when you emulate Jesus, guess what? You get to as well. You get to be a part of changing the world. And listen, this is why you're created, to be like Jesus. Romans 8, 29, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Now, the NLT says this nicely, but what it basically says is you are predestined to become the image of Jesus Christ. This is what you were born into this world to do. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So you were chosen, picked out to become like Jesus, like the Lord's son. This is your purpose above all other purposes. In uh, you fulfilling your purpose, Jesus becomes now what God destines him to become. So Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays that the Father's will is done. Jesus' victory is your victory. Because why? Because you're his brothers and sisters. He didn't die for strangers. He died for his family. Everyone he would die for would become his brothers and sisters. And it starts here. This is why we keep watch. That's why there's this constant demand. Listen, we're keeping watch because you're going to emulate me in your life. You're going to sacrifice things in your life. You're going to do things like I did in my life. Why? Because for your brothers and sisters, for your family. And so again, Jesus goes back after the second time. He goes back to pray. However, now it's too late, right? The time of prayer is over. The time for the cross is here. And we learn that we must pray while it's time to pray. While it's to, to listen, to open up our eyes, to open our ears. While there is still time, we need to pray. Because eventually, moments and seasons come to an end. And the time for prayer will pass. 
and the time for action will arise. Prayer precedes actions and seasons. It precedes actions and seasons. The season of the cross has approached. It will never be the same again with the disciples. That season is over. I was thinking about this. Do you think that if the disciples knew that this season of Jesus as their teacher and friend, think about it, traveling together, sleeping in the same places, sharing meals, was going to end, that they would have treated it different? That they might have listened more? I think so. I think so. But they didn't know. And we rarely ever know when a season begins or an ends. It just does. It just happens. And it's in those moments that we have a lot of reflection uh, to do. This is the moment where, like for me when I was studying this, I just like cried. Can you imagine spending three years with the Lord? And it's perfect. I mean, there's a few moments where it gets heated and tense, but they just watch their hero like destroy the Pharisees with words. And every time they came for him, he somehow miraculously got away. By the way, man, I've been in the military. We have cool stories, right? Some neat stories that happen. And these are, I, I can only imagine that's how it was, right? They had these neat stories. Hey, man, remember when Jesus, like, they, we thought everybody was about to grab that guy and chunk him off the cliff. And, like, somehow, like, he just comes out unscathed. Like, I don't even know how he did it. It was amazing. Remember that time we spit on the ground? I thought, what's he doing? He's going to, like, this is going to be so offensive. He spits on the ground. He picks up the dirt, rubs mud in the guy's eye, and he totally can see now. Like, that was awesome. Can you imagine how they sit around at night when Jesus is around? Jesus is around like, man, you guys. Uh, and he has so much, and I got so much more to teach you. That's the past. Let's talk about right now, right? And he's sitting there teaching them, and he's, and how cool that moment is, right? And they're all best friends. They've literally left everything to hang out with this guy. They're best friends. And you're thinking, man, I hope this never ends. And Jesus wakes you up and goes, it's over. It's over. This was your last moment. You spent it sleeping. This was your moment. This is the last lesson to teach you. The season's changed now. Just like that, it's over. Three years, best three years of your life. You got to experience him. But it's about to take a huge shift. And a new season is about to take place. And it's a season of suffering. It's been good and glorious for three years. But this next small season between the cross and the resurrection is going to be the longest few days of your life. And when you come out to the other side, we'll rebuild some of that. But let's be honest. They didn't know that this was the night. They have no clue what's going to happen over the next three days. They just swore moments earlier that they never denied that's about to happen. It's about to be the worst moment of their life. And this was the, this was the one moment, the last little moments with Jesus and in intimacy in this time where you get to hold him and hug him and be there. And he is gone now. I think about the same moment with the, uh, I've listened to a lot of the Narnia books right now on audio, and 
and uh, there's a moment. And uh, if you've seen some of the movies, I think it's Prince Caspian. They do it fairly justice at the end where Peter and Lucy, not Lucy, Peter and Susan are never coming back to Narnia again. And, it, and I, I couldn't help but think in that same moment. I cried in, in that movie, too. I was like, I like kids movie and I'm crying. But I cried in that movie because in that moment, I'm realizing what it is. It's that moment where all your adventures you got to have with Jesus are over. He says, you're never coming back. Oh, you'll see me in the next world, but I'll be different. It'll be different from here on out. It'll never be like it was. And I think about how that is, how C.S. Lewis covered that same aspect that's going on right here. Jesus knows he'll see them again, but it won't be the same. Peter will be changed forever. John will be changed forever. James will be changed forever. They will see the resurrection and the Spirit will empower them to do things that are so mighty and so great. Think about this. Think about this, what this moment has led to. Think about the regret of not spending your time with Jesus in that moment paying attention when you should have been praying and you should have been emulating and you should have been there listening and knowing that this is your moment, right? This is the last moment I get to spend with Jesus, right? Now go to the upper room where they spend all that time in the upper room praying that the Spirit comes down. You know, the Assemblies of God did a study one time where they were looking at how many hours they stayed up in the upper room and, and the, the, the idea of how much prayer was probably happening in there. And then they looked at what the average person statistically says they pray, right? They said, don't you realize that all those that were in the upper room praying equals to about the average person's prayer life in three years? Why do you think they were such strong, praying individuals? They didn't seem to be when Jesus was alive. Maybe because there are some moments that leave such a scar on you that you know now what you were supposed to learn. Maybe they walked away from it different than they ever walked away before. That night changed their life forever. And Jesus said, keep watch. Those were haunting words to them after he was gone. Keep watch, Peter. What does he say to him? We just learned it the other day with Peter and his sheep, what is he supposed to do to the sheep? Watch my sheep, Peter. Keep watch, Peter. Keep watch. Keep watching for the horizon. Keep watching for the sun to rise. Keep watching. Because from this moment on, the disciples are going to be on their own. How they would meet Jesus afterwards would be different. And only temporary as Jesus is going to ascend. This was their season. For learning. And after Jesus ascends, that will be their season for leading. And man, that's every disciple's life. They only got three years to keep watch. Three years to watch Jesus, to learn from Jesus, and to emulate Jesus. Some of us have only been, some of us. This is the sad truth. I could preach this to pastors. Some of us have been training a lot longer. We've been in training for a long time. We have too much Bible knowledge. I'm just saying. We've been, we've been, at, we've been learning, 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 learning. And the greatest shame today that guys who only spent three years with Jesus still bear fruit today. We're still living under the fruit of their trees. But there are people out there today who got 20 years of learning, 20 years of trying to listen and learn Jesus. They've learned all the theology under the sun, and they've yet to bear fruit. How is that? 
I mean, from everything we read today, how is it? And maybe more pointedly with Jesus pointing it out, they kept watched a bit more than we give them credit for. Maybe that's the thing about the disciples. They obviously listened enough. They heard what he was praying. They recorded it. The synoptic gospels record even more. I mean, like, you know, John and some of them heard more different, you know, other things that he said. They heard about the cup. They heard about, they saw him sweat like blood in this moment. There are other gospels that talk about that. So there were some that kept watch more than others. And the greatest thing about it is that there was more than one disciple. Because in numbers, all their eyes worked to their advantage. Kind of like in hunting. You know, in hunting, we always say the worst case scenario is there's too many deer. Because with more eyes there, if one person misses something, the other sees it. By the way, you think that's why God intended the church to be one body? We have so many eyes. And if one of us is praying and one of us is keeping alert, then we can help out the body. We can help out the body. And that's the glorious of what's happening. I, I was thinking about this with seasons coming. If we can get Joy to come back for worship and bring, bring the kids over or whatever. But um, I think my, the biggest thing I, that upset me, I think, in the whole thing is not realizing when your season's done. And, it's, and, and maybe it's not done for them. Their season of life is going to keep going and it's going to change. But you have this season with the Lord. And it's a really good season. And then it shifts on you. While you were asleep. And you didn't appreciate it as much. I was thinking about. I think the reason I got emotional too. Is I think about being a young man. And as a young man in my 20s. Very ambitious. Trying to want to make enough money. Where my wife never has to work. And <clears throat> I don't have college degrees. So I've got to work a little extra harder. On finding jobs that don't want to hand you the money. It takes for you to be a self-sufficient. Uh, and. And so in the process of pursuing all those things, I worked countless hours working on the weekends, never was home. And, and though I saw my kids every day, because I have to be careful to say I was never home because that wasn't true. I saw my kids every day, but I spent more time working than I ever did with my wife or my kids in my 20s. And then something happened to me. It was, a, I, I, it was basically like a panic attack that happened, and, I, and it was a divine one when I look back. Because of it, I would end up going, I need to be home. 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 And the more I began to pray during that moment, God was calling me into ministry and away from some of those things. It began to be a revelation for me that I'm missing the most important things in my life happening in front of me. And it wasn't too long after that that God would launch me into ministry because the desire of my heart was just to be, at that point, was to be a good husband and a good father. And I, and I probably wouldn't be in either because I was so busy thinking a good husband was just somebody who could provide in such a way to make life easy for them. And really, reality, being a good husband, good father is being there. <laughs> it's being there for those moments when they need you the most. You can't do that if you're constantly doing somewhere else or you're constantly working or constantly. There's some things that are happier. But in those moments, that's the things. The season was shifting. And I didn't recognize those things. I didn't recognize that a season had shifted and I'd become so ambitious that I'd missed out on things that were, I, I wasn't watching. I wasn't paying attention. And I see Jesus right now with all his disciples. And man, I hunger more than anything. Can we just go back to the way it was? Can't you imagine that was their idea when Jesus came back from, the ascension, from, from resurrection? Can we go back to the way it was? Well, as the Narnia and C.S. Lewis would say, things never happen the same way twice. And isn't that the truth? You'll never go back. So whatever past, you know, this is the thing about getting stuck in the past. And when I was at other churches, I would tell the older generation this. We're never going to go back to the way it was. 
It's never going to happen. When we return to the Lord, it won't be like it was before. It won't be. When they return from Egypt, it was different. Mosaic law begins. When they return from Babylon, it was different. They had other customs and stuff that they had to throw down, and they had to establish an old thing all back together. They had no idea. It was like it was happening brand new again to them. It was different even then. Every time the children of God returned to Jerusalem, it was different. Every time they returned to the old ways, it was different. It was different. And when we return, it's different. How it's going to happen here in America, how the church will return and go into a reformation is what it needs. It'll be different. It won't happen like we think it will. It'll happen however God wants it to. Our hope is, and maybe my hope is, if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, that we can plant the seed in others so that it lives on in a remnant, just like Isaiah prophesied about. But there are some that God is withholding to himself, like the 7,000 that have yet to bow a knee. And amongst those 7,000, God will raise up one person, like the days of Elijah, like the days of Nehemiah, like Ezra, like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah. I could go on and on, right? That will herald in these days. And like Ravenhill says, one day there's a kid who's just going to read his Bible, take it at face value, and we'll all be embarrassed for it. I hope so. I pray so. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship a little bit this morning. We had little Briley over the other day, and she had hurt herself. And I, I asked her a little while later, are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm okay. Jesus healed it. And I said, that's great. She said, yeah, he always does. I think that's how we need to keep our, you know, raise our children so that they will believe. And God will do great things. So praise God. I'm so thankful that he does that. <clears throat> Father, thank you. Thank you that you are who you say you are. Thank you that you do what you say that you do. And we don't have to worry or stress out about the things of this world because we know you are on the throne. And this morning, Lord, we lay our, our fears, our anxieties, the things we are holding on to at your feet. Lord, help us to be like our little children that do look at you and go, yep, he's going to do it. The faith of a child. <laughs>